and welcome back to Let's Unpack That. I'm Paul, um, and I'm really excited as a politically engaged queer millennial um, to talk about the things that bring me the most anxiety. Um, My therapist always tells me to confront things head on and also prepare for worst case scenarios. Um, And this podcast is exactly that for me. So we have a super exciting episode. Um, We have a couple different guests. Um, Garrett is on. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably follow Garrett um, because we are constantly talking um, and we are constantly Instagram living. Um, We also have Erica and Kirk. And then we also have actor, director, producer, creator, and drag queen, uh, Michael Whitkiss, who joins us at the end to talk about how we can drag out the vote. So super exciting episode, but we're just going to dive right in. So Garrett, please introduce yourself. This is podcast number two for you, but the first one never got released. (laughs) Yes. Um, That's a shame. That was a great combo. Uh, I'm Garrett. Uh, I... Um, own a co-working space here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and over the last six to eight months have found myself being way more uh, politically engaged. Um, the, yeah, so just using my platform and my voice to be loud about things, specifically politics. We love, we stand. That's why we indulge in this podcast together. So. Yeah. Um, so Erica, Kirk, welcome back. How are you, Hags? <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, take that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to go. Just kidding. Okay. Great. Erica, how are you? How was your day? I'm great. I don't know who these hags are. There's only one Paul, but <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> Well, thrilled to have you back. Um, For everyone who is uh, clamoring for the perfect sound of Andrew's voice, he unfortunately cannot join us this episode. He and his delicious microphone cannot join us this episode um, because he has other projects with work. Um, But just like Garrett is here um, as a small business owner, all of us are here as people doing our second jobs, um, which is saving democracy. Um, So we're going to talk about what happened if Trump wins. And then after that, we'll talk about how to drag out the vote specifically in Pennsylvania. So it's a packed episode. Stay tuned. Stay with us. Um, super excited to have you. And we will be right back. our main segment of the episode. Um, So we are talking about what happens if Trump wins. Um, This isn't something that is necessarily fun to talk about. It's also something that could potentially be anxiety inducing. Um, But just to level set, just to get everyone on the same page, I want to talk through the likelihood that Trump is going to win. Um, And I'm going to do that in a couple different ways with some positive information and some negative information. Um, Erica, Garrett, and Kirk, please feel free to react with whatever dramatic noise comes out of your mouth. Um, so 538, if you don't know, um, is one of the state of the art polling and tracking organizations for U.S. politics. So it's run by Nate Silver, and he actually does simulations where he looks at the presidential, the Senate, 
and the House. And that's where I would say I'm feeling good about the likelihood that Trump will not win. So um, through each sort of simulation, Nate, ga- Nate and his team gather just thousands and thousands of polls and then run 40,000 simulations of how the election could play out based on that poll data. So right now, at the day that we are recording this, it's mid-October, out of the 40,000 <laughs> simulations, 87 out of 100 times Joe Biden wins the election, 13 out of 100 times Trump wins the election. So really good odds that Joe Biden would win this election. If you're worried about what that means comparing to 2016, um, at this point, Hillary had about a 70% chance of winning and Trump had about a 30% chance of winning. So Joe Biden is outperforming where Hillary Clinton is. Um, The polling has obviously changed a ton back and forth since then. It's gotten closer. It's gotten tighter. But this is the furthest apart it's been. It's never been more clear based on the polling that Joe Biden is very likely to win the election. Um, In terms of the Senate, the races are much tighter here. So in the 538 polling, these look look more like the 2016 odds, but they're also the best they've been so far for Democrats to take control. So out of those simulations, 70 out of 100 times, the Democrats take control of the Senate, and 30 out of 100 times, Republicans keep control of the Senate. In terms of the House, We're kind of expecting a blowout. We're expecting the Democrats will likely add seats to the House. Um, So 95 out of 100 times, Democrats will keep control of the House. Five out of 100 times, Republicans take control of the House. So again, overall, odds stacked in the Democrats' favor when you look at this expert polling. But we all sort of know that that's not true. So I want to talk a little bit about where there's room to worry. So um, David Wasserman from the Cook Political Report recently put out the voter registration report. So in the last few weeks, um, Joe Biden has led President Donald Trump by a fairly consistent eight point average in national polls and has maintained better leads in more than enough battlegrounds to win the Electoral College. That's what we just talked about. But there are signs that Trump's ground operation is paying off when it comes to registering new voters in key states. So remember, all of those people that turned out in 2016, Trump is trying to trying to tap into that group again and expand that group. So um, of the six states, Trump won by less than five points in 2016. Four of them um, permit voters to register by party. And in all four of those states, voter registration trends are more robust for the GOP than they were four years ago. So Trump's team is doing a really good job of registering people. They also have not stayed Uh, socially distant or home, they have been knocking on doors every single day. So there's a lot of questions right now around will the Biden campaign sort of regret not knocking on as many doors as possible um, because Trump is going to register so many voters, the Trump campaign is going to bring so many new people into the electorate that our polls won't matter. Um, So if that scares you, that's why we're here. That's why we are unpacking what would happen if Trump does win. None of us want to wake up at some point in November or December, how long it take, however long it takes for us to get results, and be surprised. So that's why we're unpacking what would happen if Trump does win. Um, it doesn't feel like it could happen right now. There are always surprises in elections. Um, some polls right now are indicating, as Garrett and I talked about on our live, that Trump is going to do better with Latinx voters, particularly young Latinx men. Um, and as we've talked on this podcast, with Black voters, particularly young Black men, he would do better than Hillary Clinton 
Biden did. Um, Joe Biden, though, is polling better with seniors, and that almost never happens. Um, Joe Biden is also polling better with non-college educated white voters, the group that basically handed Trump the election in 2016. Um, It's also being reported that 66% of women are planning to vote for Joe Biden. Um, But are those likely voters, or will we see a surge, or will a bunch of women go back to, specifically white women, go back to the Republican Party when it comes time to vote? Obviously, we don't know the answers to all these questions, but it's important to speculate. Um, It's always important to remember, I think, the stakes of this election. So we know that Joe Biden will win the popular vote. Of course, Trump is historically unpopular, but the Electoral College is where things get really dicey. It takes a long time for the demographics of America to shift. So things happen slowly, and that's why it's really important that we get involved, but also talk to you about how you can get involved. So the first question I want to pose to this group is if Trump wins, what will be the first thing that you do? Fight, flight, or freeze? <laughs> and Kirk, let's start with uh, you. Really? Uh, um, I, well, first, I want to take I, I want to take myself back to. I remember. I mean, we all remember this. It, it really feels like a thousand years ago, and then also feels like two minutes ago, um, the twenty sixteen election, and how that all played. And I think we were in a much more naive place where like we didn't even have this, this never would have been a topic of conversation. If this podcast was happening in 2015, 2016, we never would have asked ourselves if Trump wins because it was just not an option. Right. Um, And I think I remember that next morning waking up, we went to sleep knowing already. Right. I'm pretty sure. I think we did. And we woke up the next morning. I remember being really gloomy. It was this weird, like rain and like low fog. And, um, I woke up to like, I'm not getting like 55, 60 text messages of people just being like, either I'm thinking of you or like, this is scary or the world's going to shit. I mean, it was a very dramatic response, which I think is just to this day. But in the, in that moment, it, it, it was felt very real, right? And it still does. But um, I remember I went to work, I sat and watched Hillary Clinton's concession speech that day and cried while she was giving it. Um, so I'm just taking, putting myself in the mindset of we've already lived through this once of him winning. And that's kind of how I reacted. It was more of a freeze slash freak out slash um i don't think like flight was an option for me then and anyway now looking at it i still don't think it's really an option for me because um i think of myself as being way more involved than i was then in in caring about this and understanding what's at stake and being more educated that i think you know if it were to happen again i think there's leaving is I think if you take it from an anti-Trump supporter or a Democrat, I think that'd be, you know, doing your country some disservice as well, right? I mean, if we want to say that we're doing all this because we care about our country to then just flee would be, um, you know, not the right answer. I think it'd be kind of hypocritical of people like us who care about democracy. But um, I think the stakes are way different this time. I will say that at least. Like, I think that we, what he did in the first three years is so different than the, I think the first three years were, where they were scary at moments, but I think they were pretty kind of, they were kind of chill. He didn't have that many like things stacked up. There was not that many challenges for him. I, I don't think when you think about it, the first three years, but this last year has been really um, telling of what he's capable of doing and willing to do. And um, I think that's what scares me more is that the direction of what that's going in um, would make me think like, do we, I don't know, do I not leave? It also comes down to like what you said, Paul, about the Senate too. Like if the Senate um, which I don't know if, the, if him winning and then us being able to flip enough seat, I don't know if that would work. Just think of the logic of people voting down ballot. I don't know. Um, but I think that that if we control the Senate, then he can't really do a lot, right? So um, I think it depends upon the outcome. Either I, I, I honestly have no idea how I'll react. That's, I guess, the, the full answer to that. Um, but I would <laughs> yeah, like to say I would the- stay and make the country better. 
Yeah, that's kind of like that. That's kind of my piece too. I'm like, if we can flip the Senate. I'll stay and I'll fight. But if we don't flip the Senate, then Trump has all the power to basically execute whatever he wants. And the courts will also be stacked in his favor at that point. So we then basically have one branch of the four branches of government. Like, and that's what scares me and makes me want to flight. But Garrett, how, how, what, what would be the first thing that, that you would do? Yeah, so th- this is a, a I think the the thing that makes me unique as a part of this uh, this conversation is, is for the most part my life doesn't change in any way, shape, or form. Um, uh, you know, me being I, I'm actually not you know outside of the stress and anxiety that Trump causes me because I'm I care about people, um, his policies and things actually as a business owner and someone that uh, pre COVID made good money, uh, I benefit from, from Republican um, policies in most cases. Um, You know, the fight flight or freeze, you know, I didn't vote in 2016. Um, That uh, shame has led me to the the work that I I'm I'm trying to do now. I, um, I I think that more than ever, and and Paul, we've had this conversation, we can't ever give up. (laughs) And I've had this conversation with Kate over at Friends Vote Together. Um, Even if, uh, even more so, if he wins um, the Senate, uh, if if we don't take back the Senate, um, you know, it's going to feel hopeless. But I think that we're going, even though in this moment, we'd be like, wow, we're just give up at that point. I think we will feel even more inclined to fight. And I don't know what that looks like. Like, what does a, what does, it's like fighting against Amy, Amy Coney Barrett right now when like she's going to get pushed through. Like there's literally no reason to talk about it. Just let it happen. So does that just become the norm where we scream a lot about things and everything happens? And that's my biggest fear is like, we get all the anxiety. We get, we have to do all the work. We have to educate people, but it quite literally doesn't matter. It might not matter if they don't listen. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely nervous about it. I, I read the stuff you wrote and, and I was curious if you look back at the 538 polls, did, did he do polls just like that in 2016? And, and has he talked about the era, the errors in his polling previously? Yeah, so he, because he's sort of amassing all of the polls, he was beholden to the pollers, to the pollsters, excuse me, who were not polling the right people. They weren't looking at what was actually happening. They were polling too many people who were college educated versus now it swings the other way. They want to make sure they understand how non-college educated people vote. And so they've basically shifted giant pieces of the way that they track these forecasts now and who they include on the forecast now and then simulate from there. So in theory, the data is better sure. than it yeah. was in 2016, but that doesn't mean that there's another, there's not another surprise that comes. I know. And, and really, uh, I think about the first thing I'm going to do as a, as a, a person who loves data, it's just like, how the fuck did this happen? Like, Really, when you think about it, you look at, God, there was a headline that came out today that 97% of, but it was some Texas county, that 97% of eligible voters are registered. It's like some record ridiculous number um, out of like a state that just roughly runs like middle of the road, 50%. 
but who are those people? <laughs> and that's like, who are they? And are they are they blue or are they red? And that they won't talk about. Uh, and that's a really scary, scary thing. Yeah. As Trump continues to run the ground game pretty strong. So, right, like it's mm-hmm. like, like I read today that 11 million people have voted already. I think. And that's like groundbreaking. Yeah. It's like three hundred and twenty or thirty thousand people under thirty have voted as well already. And I see that. And everyone that writes about it, I think it's funny, Garrett. To your point, like every every reads like a positive thing, and it's all from like you know left leaning places that I'm reading or Instagram accounts or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm like, you're right. This is great. But why am I thinking that Trump new Trump supporters can't be registering to vote or voting already yeah. too? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess. But I think because the early voting seems to be a more Democrat thing right now. But um, yeah, it's funny that the energizing seems like it's only energy, morally energizing people that hate Donald Trump, but I don't think that's true. Like, I think there's people that are getting energized from the other side. No, too. it's oh yeah. So I had just put out I, 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 every day for the last like 12 days, I posted a TikTok video, Paul, that continues to to grow. Um, that just basically called Trump a goddamn racist. And um, the shocking thing about this it's got like 180 thousand views, but the the shocking thing about it is the 1,200 comments in support of Trump. <laughs> Yeah. so scary they're there they're out there like it, it's it's not a myth these are real humans that believe that uh they want proof <laughs> they they want to they they are they're riding that wave hard and they are going to vote that i am confident in yeah it's scary to think that worldwide protests could result in more white supremacist voting right like yeah that's insane it's and and i really the got the rabbit hole here but like my we have the, not the same issue, but a similar issue where like these Trump people love Trump yes. and people that are voting for Biden. Even I don't really love Joe Biden. I just, it wasn't my first choice. It wasn't my second choice, but here, here I am. And I'm going to vote that direction. But pe- these people like love Trump. Yeah. They're buying his hats. They're buying his swag. Like they're, they're marching around. Um, and that's my biggest worry. Yeah, that they'll just keep appearing. Yeah, it's crazy. Erica, <laughs> what about you? What's the first thing you're going to do? Um, I think for me, it's I don't have any other option but to fight. Um, a, there's like, I don't have any privilege to like, I was talking to some friends and they're like, oh, well, you know, my grandmother's Scottish or my mom's Canadian. So like, I can like, finesse my way into citizenship and it's like nope (laughs) I don't have that so this is the country that I am stuck in until um I don't know maybe I'll download tinder premium and like start swiping literally in any other country but (laughs) men women I don't really care it's like whoever gets me out but um I think I am completely willing to be in the streets and protest and make my voice heard. And I don't think that, I think that to an extent, here's my thing. If Trump loses, his people are going to be in the streets protesting, um, trying to essentially denounce the election. Um, I will gladly be on, you know, that side of things if Trump does win. Um, I probably said if Trump wins, basically, if like Trump's people are always going to go out and support Trump. Um, and like Garrett mentioned, like Biden does not have that. Like people don't really you don't see people like randomly on Instagram, like Biden 2020. 
but I could post a picture of like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, Paul does it all the time. He'll post something and it's MAGA, keep America great, Trump 2020, fuck Biden, like all this stuff. So it's more of a cult kind of thing. Um, but I think that if we were to mobilize an action and actually show our teeth and things could get done. Um, I also, and this is incredibly pessimistic, but like it's just who I am as a person, a pessimist. Um, if Trump wins, I don't think I'd be the most shocked. Um, history has showed us that racism and bigotry and fear mongering has always won. And unfortunately, the people who benefit most from this idea of they're coming to take X, Y, Z are the ones who do have a lot of power um, and the ones who are able to mobilize themselves. So, and they're also the ones who feel the most connected to this country, which sometimes concerns me. Like I was talking to a friend and I was like, yeah, like if I saw someone with an American flag in their profile, I'm kind of like, like, fuck, they're racist, which is nuts. (laughs) In the other country, it's like, oh, yeah, they must have won a soccer game. Like, great. (laughs) Um, So I I truly think that I I know I will be angry because it's like we put in all this work. Um, I feel like so many of us have been promised this, like, reprieve from four years, especially the last, not even year, the last ten and a half months of absolute nightmarish scenarios, including the World War III that I'm sure everyone forgot about almost happening in January. Um, So, you know, I'm ready to do whatever needs to be done. That being said, for I hope my mother never listens to this podcast because she'll be disappointed in my potty mouth. But um, that does not mean I will cause any violence, but I will be active. I will make my voice heard. And I hope that other people take that step too. Um, the people who have the option of flight to, to choose flight are usually white privileged Americans. And like, we need you because if it's just minorities and we're the only people who stay in this racist country, then we are completely alone. Um, so for the people who are like, if he wins, I'm just going to leave the country. Like, I want you to consider the fact that you are leaving your friends, you were leaving colleagues, you were leaving peers to nothing. Um, Especially because Brown Voices, we advocate for ourselves, we advocate for ourselves, but it it isn't until some white celebrity makes us think about something that other white people of privilege start to recognize that it's an issue. Agreed. Yeah. I was going to say, fight, flight, freeze, or just fuck it all up. And I plan on fucking it all up i may i may fly and then fuck it all up (laughs) i might need some respite somewhere i know who's gonna take us it's still covid i'll i'll take you guys i have a way in to the uk that's my white privilege (laughs) um okay so the next thing i want to talk about if trump wins what policies, positions, or situations are you most worried about? We've all talked about healthcare, climate change, pandemics, human rights, international conflicts, economic collapse, wage growth, etc. What are you most worried about? Could be one of those, could not be one of those, but Erica, I'd like to start with you. 
that's like, it's like choosing which kid you hate the most. (laughs) Um, I don't, I, I really don't know. I think, I think right now at the forefront is his handling around COVID. Um, I think long-term I'm looking at the affordable, affordable care act only because we, those of us who believe in science understand that the effects of COVID are long lasting and um, they're not just, I got sick, I got better. Like it causes lung damage. We know this. Um, some people, again, just won't make it out through. And the ones that do get fucked over. Um, I was talking to one of my friends and she said as a joke, like, I think if I got COVID and things got started getting bad, it'd just be easier for me to die. And that's actually true. Um, she does not have great insurance, even though it's provided by her work. And she's like, I can't afford to live after being in the hospital for X amount of time. Um, also, I think, I mean, I remember in 2016 when Trump won, I was walking down the street in Fishtown. And for those of you who don't know Fishtown, it is a historically and in some aspects currently race is part of the city. It's always been predominantly white working class. And I was just walking down the street and these kids started like making monkey noises to me. And they're like, um, Trump's going to take care of you. And these are literal children, like 10 year olds. Um, And they were basically, they felt so emboldened and so empowered to be so outwardly racist to someone literally walking down the street twice their size, by the way. Um, I just think that it's only going to get worse because we've seen all of this happen. And you have all these racists who are like, yeah, the whole world was protesting. And look, we still want our president. Like, clearly racism wins. So, again, there's a slew of things that will go wrong. But I think um, those are my my top three picks. Yeah, I would agree. I think that they are astute. And I also would just remind everyone listening that those kids who harassed Erica, their parents are voting. So you better bring a friend to the polls that has never voted before. Um, Garrett, how about you? What are you most worried about? I am, God, they're all hot button issues. And I, I think of four years of Trump and Republican controlled all the things um, and it, they will dismantle, everything will get dismantled. Uh, for me, the, the, interesting, weird, sad, challenging thing that I, when I think about human rights and I think that um, the fact that we're still debating these things are, are the scary thing. Like I, I, it's where I, I, I don't want to debate people um, when we start talking about the rights of, of, of people, like they are, they're humans and they, they deserve everything that I have or you have, and, and I'm still finding myself having these conversations. Like literally today, I had to have a conversation with someone that ended poorly because I, I don't know how to reason with a person that's debating the rights of someone, like literally the right for someone to live or be who they want to be. Um, and that the reason that's a debate is because of this. It's always been because of of someone but i think that again think about people feeling emboldened to like just be racist and hateful more than ever um people that i like respect (laughs) or did respect like random people people in my business world that i'm just like they'll casually make a comment and you're just like oh no you didn't (laughs) oh no yeah 
Yeah. Like, and, and I worry, you know, we can debate what's right about healthcare. Obviously they're, you know, their current assault on the affordable care act and everything's different climate change. Again, there's science, how to go about fixing these things. We can debate these things. There's a lot of approaches, things that'll have bigger effects. This, um, the coronavirus response, listen, Trump really fucked this one up. And I think no, no administration would have had it easy. Um, again, could have approached it differently. I don't, like, I don't know enough about foreign policy to really care there. And I think that again, like the economic collapse is so like, it's so politicized because of there are people doing really well right now and there's people doing really bad. Um, but I really just can't stand the debate around human rights. And I look at like Amy Coney Barrett and everything that he's doing. And I think it's going to be a really rough four years if he has all that. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I think Amy Coney Barrett is like just another tipping point, like of things that we can't handle of how fragile our systems are. Right. Like the fact that the Supreme court, held in the balance of Ruth Bader Ginsburg for so long. And now it's going to swing in favor of somebody who has positions and beliefs that are not supported by a majority of Americans is insane. I mean, her, her views on Roe v. Wade, however justified they are in her own mind about her Catholicism, that's not how Americans feel. The majority of Americans feel her views on gay marriage it's not how the majority of Americans feel. And I'm not talking fucking like 50%, you know, like, like I'm talking like 60s and 70% of Americans feel this way. So to have somebody on the courts that just does, just does the bidding of the president who appointed them is pretty fucking terrifying. And the fact that she can't answer those questions and refuses to answer those questions in her hearing would indicate that she's exactly like Trump. She's just a more polite and groomed and uh, better looking version of Donald Trump. But her hatred is just the same. You know, the Affordable Care Act, she's been part of organizations that are funded by the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical industry. So her attacks on the ACA are just as drastic and, and desperate, I said, as like the Brexit deal. Like this thing is going on forever. And Amy Coney Barrett is like another tipping point on this piece. So like if Trump does get her on the courts and then they have that court case in the first week of November after the election, millions of people could lose their health insurance, you know, during or just after a global pandemic. That's a domino effect because when people lose their fucking health insurance, then they can go bankrupt. They can't pay their bills. They can't go to work. They can't get evicted. Like, like they can't, you know, take care of their children. Their kids can't get to school. Like there's all these other things that are so tied to what I believe healthcare is a human right. Like, so to me, putting Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court is a human rights violation because she doesn't support what the majority of Americans and humans in this country believe and want. And that's not just like an idea that's fucking proven with the writings that she has and the things that she has um, stood up for um, and the things that are very much up for debate because some fuckers sue. So we then have what the most, you know, but again, this is like out of our control. It's going to happen. So that's why my my thing is like, let's get Joe Biden in there. Let's flip the Senate and let's expand the fucking Supreme Court. Let's expand the federal courts because 
they've already shifted, you know, like Trump has already shifted them so strongly towards him. So again, that's what I'm like most worried about because the Supreme Court has so much control on our elections. They have so much control on our human rights. They have so much control even on like the, the healthcare system that we've, we've built. And that's to put something like that in a partisan way just feels so wrong and scary to me. So that's what I'm most worried about. You know, I think it's like what November 10th, a week after the election, the affordable care act is under siege, like by the Supreme court here we fucking go. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty terrifying. Um, so that's, that's where mine is. It's mainly within the Supreme court and the affordable care act. And I've been screaming this for four years, you know, like more so on the human rights side, but now on the healthcare side too. I mean, it's just been long and it's been drawn out. But uh, Kirk, what's what's yours? What what policies, positions, or situations are you most worried about if Trump wins? Yeah. I was before I on the same page with you. I, w- I wanted to say to that too. I think because I was talking to someone about um, the Affordable Care Act and people who don't like it and if there's issues with it, great, whatever. You think there's little issues with it here and there, and they say, well, you know, they say they're going to fix it. Like they're, they're not just getting rid of it. And I'm like, they've been saying this. Like and this is again a fact like a fact of the past four years, they have been saying that they are going to overturn, get rid of it and fix it, but they have never shown a plan. Not once, not once, not when they've been asked, not when they should have even the past, both debates, the presidential and vice presidential, they had a chance to sit there and say what their plan was. And they don't have one because they literally don't have one. That's why they can't say it. So that's what scary. Like, listen, if, if you had a, a great plan that was in a, um, um, you know, not be too far off to fix the flaws, whatever the people say the flaws are like, great, but that's never been, that's never been proposed by anybody. So it's like, what are we like, you're just going to repeal it that week. And then, then what, like, I really, like, I would love to know whether then when there isn't, obviously, I think that's kind of the answer now, but that's probably the scariest thing. And I do wonder what do you got? And not to flip the question back to you guys, but um, what if Biden does win, say he wins and that still goes to the court, right? Cause it would still go to the court on, that next week after the election, right? Because he's he's not president until. What do you do? You think it's like I'm just thinking what the reaction will be from the country. With, you know what I mean? Being like we have a new president coming in that it is so opposed to this, but we, now you have her on the court. He, Trump's still president. It's going to happen now. I, I think that's that's. I mean, that's a best case scenario for us right now, I guess, because Biden wins. But I think the reaction is going to be crazy. I have to imagine that they challenge it. Yeah. yeah. You know, or then they pass something else, right? That's like a workaround for it. I don't know. If they declare it's unconstitutional, that can take a while to overturn. But there has to be some version of an expiration date, right? Right. That's true. Sure. But I think this is where we get into the conversation around, okay, we get a Biden win. Do we get a Senate flip? And then... Do we start talking court packing? Do we start talking? Because we need a Senate flip for that to happen, right? Because yes. that's what I think he's bothering about these debates where they're like, Kamala and Biden, are you here for, you want to pack the courts? It's like, well, they really have no power to pack the courts if the Senate is the Senate that it is now. It's, it's up to the Senate too, um, which I think is funny. Yeah. They keep asking that and then they don't, I wish, I wish Joe or Kamala would say that, but they just keep saying that they're not going to, or they won't, you know, they won't. I wish um, they, they, they just the, recently I mean, I started to say. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Kirk, I interrupted you. Yeah. No, I think I, um, no, I, that's a good point. That if they are recently tr- trying to change their messaging a bit, I think they should, because um, it isn't up to solely them. To me, as Kamala pointed out, like Trump has named hundreds of judges yeah. to the federal court, and not one judge was black. Like they're stacking the courts. And no one's calling <laughs> yeah. that stacking the court, right? 
Like that they are, you yeah, know, and it's like, no, sorry, we're, we're going to right size this thing by diversifying it, by making it more modern. And you can whine and bitch and moan. But these that is the fact that they have already stacked the courts. Reflect the country. Yeah, yeah, to reflect the country. Like you made you made a point earlier, like, you know, if most of the country doesn't, why are we appointing people that don't agree with the country on a whole? Um, I guess, back, but back to your question about what would my, you know, I, I think you're, I agree with everyone. I don't have a really great answer to this. I think it's all of them, but I think the first one, because is the p- healthcare pandemic economy, because I think that they all kind of go hand in hand right now. Um, and I wonder... You know, I don't think Biden winning means COVID goes away. Like, I'm not crazy. I don't think anyone should think that way. Um, it's still going to be an issue. And, it, and and if Biden was president six months ago, I still think COVID would be an issue to an extent right now. It's an issue everywhere, but it wouldn't be this massive issue in, in the States. But um, I think that, you know, the Democrats or Biden will have a better plan just to kick off with, you know, the first, in, in January 21st or 22nd, whenever that is, to tackle COVID. I think it's just going to continue going this way. We've seen what Trump has done in the past week since getting it and how much worse he's changed or he's pushed the messaging completely even further crazy. Um, and what's happened, what's going to be ramifications of that? Months, 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 years, you know, it's going to keep happening. So it's like, what? It, and then people lose their health care and then more people are sick and then they're really dying sick because they can't get any care. And then the economy is not magically going to get better. We've already seen that happening through all of this. So if we can't get the pandemic under control, um, the economy that Republicans care apparently care so much more about than Democrats for that, whatever that weird messaging is, um, that's never going to get better either. So that's why I think it's, you know, it's a, to Paul, to your point, it's a domino effect. Obviously, human rights is number one, but I think that's a given. I think there's a lot of things that are going to happen right away that is what's scariest to me. And that involves right. pandemic and, and then the economy, I think. Okay, next question. So if Trump wins, who will you blame? I want the white people listening to feel some guilt. <laughs> no, but, um, so my, but I, I'll start this. Like my, my natural reaction is that I will blame myself. But... I know, and I'm really working hard on this in therapy, I know that I'm doing as much as I possibly can. And I'm trying to convince myself that I am like, I know it sounds insane to be like, I have this Instagram account that is basically dedicated to getting rid of Donald Trump electing Joe Biden and flipping the Senate, but I still feel like it won't be enough. Um, So then I go to I have to blame every person listening to this podcast that has not done everything they can to avoid four more years. We have had four years to get active, stay active, and get this under control. We have had months to educate our friends and family. We have had months to rally every person we know behind Joe Biden. But if our privilege would not allow us to join this fight, if our privilege let this happen because we became comfortable or we became complacent or we told ourselves it's not that bad or it won't be that bad for me, then it's our fault. I didn't really start arguing with my mom until the past six months from now. I had a dream last night. I convinced my parents to vote third party and I told her about it. And my mom said, keep dreaming. And I was like, damn it. I thought maybe like if I said I framed it in a positive way that I would get there. But I'm like, okay, if six months of relentlessly attacking my mother is not enough, you know, like what else can I do? So like, I just... I have to be like, I'm going to blame myself, but I'm also going to have to be like, blame the people around me. Clearly, we all weren't talking to each other enough and rallying each other up enough to to make us realize that this is like a fault. But there's other people to blame. You know, there's the media, there's demographics of voters, there's there's 
uh, there's plenty of other ways that we can look at this thing. Um, so, so Kirk, I would love to start with you. Who would you blame? Um, I'll blame the electoral college that shouldn't exist anymore. Would be number one. <laughs> I think that's Agreed. an obvious attack. Um, I mean, I, I agree with you, Paul. I think it's a like. I think one. I one. I think it's crazy if you say that you're not doing enough. Which is fly. I think Eric would, and, and, and Garrett would agree with that. But um, you are doing quite a lot, and probably obviously more than you were doing in 2016. So I think that's great. But um, not crazy, I agree. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, we need to vote for John McCain once. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and I voted for Mitt Romney. I'm kidding. I'm Mitt Romney. Um, anyway, um, I, I do. I think, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, white people. I think it's, I think it's the friends of, I think I posted something on Instagram that you shared too. It wasn't my thoughts, but I saw it um, about people say they're not political. And, um, and it was basically, it's one way of saying that your, your rights aren't on, on attack every four years. And then you also don't care about people around you whose rights are, under attack for four years, kind of what Garrett said. He doesn't feel like he's personally being attacked by everything, but he cares about people that are either close to him or just cares about humanity, period, um, which I think is enough to get political. But um, I think those people, and I think there's a lot of I think people, in my, people in my life that are that way that say, would you, ra- would you rather, someone actually replied to that story today to one of my friends saying, would you rather those people that don't want to get political get political and vote for Donald Trump? And I was like, I mean, good point, no, but I would hope that those people that I'm thinking about, like, would love me enough or someone like me that is not persecuted, but, you know, at the other side of it um, to, to vote against him or for, for the, the better candidate. Um, So I think that I I do think that it is worth noting the media. Um, I think it's fine. I think, you know, Trump labels the media as super liberal leaning, which I think, you know, it is, I think it's kind of a fact, but um, I don't think, and I think you would agree with this, not bad press isn't really always bad press. And I think the more that the left, not the left, the more the media, um, even gives him any airtime it allows people that hate politics or hate the media to be like they keep frightening this guy to look crazy like i'm going to vote for him i think that was a huge thing that happened in 2016 because it wasn't positive coverage all the time um he had like two billion dollars worth of free media coverage i think from 2016 like far greater than any other candidate and then far greater from um from from the republican primaries and then from hillary as well obviously um and then this town hall tomorrow i mean right now it's wednesday so thursday uh, tomorrow there's a town hall that's on NBC and it's being broadcast like everywhere. And, and like, I think Joe Biden's is getting broadcast on like one network or something and um, like stuff like that. Like, I think it does work to his favor, whether it's bad coverage or good coverage, I think it's good coverage for him to be quite honest. Um, so I think we should blame the media to an extent. I think we should blame them for last time as well. Um, and then I think, you know, you blame the people that I think, that, I think at this point in October of two, three weeks out from the election, like if you're, going to vote for him you're going to vote for him so i think you know i think we have to blame those people too that are just not going to change their mind um but it is a good point though it's like after this after electing him once and going through this now and doing all the legwork that we're doing and so many people are doing all the passion all the protests all of the backlash like what else is there to do you know like i mean obviously he he wins and he, he can't become president again but um it still is it still is crazy though it's like what is it going to take and then i don't really know how you can't blame everything Flip that fucking center. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <it's a> <laughs> Which is great. I mean, if even like, what, what's the one, um, what do you think that the Senate is a really good point? Cause I think the one race, I can't think of what race it is, but where, um, it might be the South Carolina one where, um, Lindsey Graham's opponent has been get, gaining all this, getting all this, um, fundraising Gene money Harrison. from, yeah, thank you for, um, 
from across the country. I, I know I donated. I can't vote like there, obviously. People are voting from across the country to give money. But in the polls, I think they're still neck and neck. Um, but people are more interested in investing that because they understand that that can make a big difference. But at the end of the day, only people that can vote for them are in South Carolina. So if those people aren't going to change, then they're still going to have Lindsey Graham. Um, but you're right. The Senate is a big deal. People should know that. Agreed. Um, okay, Garrett, what about you? Who will you blame? I Don't be nice. Don't be nice. <laughs> no, I, I think that this is this is still going to fall. Like I, I just got engaged in all of this after George Floyd. <laughs> you know, this is it's still the shock of sitting in a room with a bunch of Clinton supporters, watching them start to cry as that night. Like I was there knowing that I didn't vote because I just assumed Clinton would win based on whatever the media was covering. And then it took three years for me to get engaged, um, like really, really decide that um, there was work to be done. I think that Paul will probably commiserate around not doing enough. And I, and I, I think that there's, there's always more to be done. Um, and I think about that daily, like even the, the, the post that I've been creating about like the, the North Carolina ballot over the last couple of days. Um, it's so freaking time consuming. Like these accounts that spend, like I look at like, so you want to talk about and then you and I'm just like, how the hell do you just create content like this all the time? It took me eight hours to do just one post about the agriculture uh, position, the commissioner of agriculture. Um, and there's so much to talk about. Uh, and I'm, I think that we're, uh, if Trump wins, this will evolve into, I think we will blame ourselves and I think we will blame the media. Uh, and that will force a lot of us to reconsider how we approach things and how to be a bigger thing. Um, how does this, you know, you think about why is there not 30 crooked medias out there? You know, Fox news and, and the Trump, you know, media storm is so powerful because a bunch of people like you and I who wear MAGA hats, though, created like YouTube's filled with a ton of Trump people yelling into the Internet. Guess who's not there? You and I. Mm-hmm. Like, what are, what are we doing? Uh, we're sitting on one like you just got on Twitter. Um, and, and I, I think I, that, I don't know how to do it. I don't know. what. To do. <laughs> how do I Twitter? Um, yeah. And I think that that's going to be. Um, it'll just force a new wave of, it'll be sadly, it'll have the same effect as George Floyd. And we will, we will plan and plot to do crazier, more exhausting work. Uh, even though we're not sure how we fit more time into that. Yeah. I'll meet y'all at, uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my other big fear, but also like the, if this is what it's going to take is, there'll be the new wave of don't be X person in 2020. Cause that's me. That's me. Don't be Garrett in 2016. That's my whole message. Um, we're just going to get the next wave. And then hopefully that makes this, this side of things an unstoppable force in 2024. But I have, um, again, if, if we don't take the Senate and if it's all Trump, all Republican, they're just going to dismantle democracy across the board. I'm not confident that we will even have the ability to take things back in 2024. I think like, you really think he's not going to find a way to be president in 2024. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't let it. it's either going to be him or it's going to be his damn son. You don't think he's, I'll put money on it right now. He is the Republican really nominee. Point. That's a good point because I don't, like, I was gonna say earlier when you were talking about, you know, how um, Trump, 
I call them fans because that's what they are. Trump fans like Trump. They don't, they probably, a lot of them weren't even Republican. There's Republicans who are going to stick with Trump because they stick with their party. But most of these like loving people are these fans. I don't see them coming out in 2024 voting for a Republican, like a staunch, normal Republican. Like I don't, yeah. I think it has to be Donald Trump Jr. Like honestly, like if you really think about it, like, I know it sounds crazy. Someone like that. Yeah. So it's going to be one of his children that he likes. So that he only leaves her. <laughs> Ivanka, and she'll be the first oh female president. But oh dear God, can you imagine? Oh my God! And then Republicans will love it because they'll have they'll have the first female president, so they'll vote for her. Uh, so, sorry, we digress off that. <laughs> no, that's that's the point of the podcast. Oh my God! <laughs> All right. No. Yeah, but you're right, Garrett. I mean, he's been teasing. Trump 2020, you know, junior 2024, Eric 2032, Ivanka 2040. Like he's been posting stuff like that. Like they're memes and they're jokes. They're funny. It makes him not the typical. That's not a joke to me. This man is obsessed with power. Yeah. And that's so evident. He's running it like he's king. Like this is some royal family. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Erica. So you're up. Who will you blame? I want to hear this, but my laptop's about to die. Oh God, save it. Um, I'm going to blame. I don't even know where to start. Um, I'm going to blame the people who just kind of thought that voting was enough because it's not. Um, I'm going to blame the people who didn't take the time to understand the breadth of the election. So if Trump wins, that's terrible. If we flip the Senate, then that's on like that's truly on the people who could have been like, oh, well, I don't like Trump, but I also don't like Biden. Like there's still state officials that you can vote for. Um, I, I feel like Everyone wants to blame the media. Um, for me personally, I've my experience with the media and my experience or my observations with the media is they've never done more than confirm what a lot of people think. Um, in the sense that, like, if I'm looking for an article that shows that Democrats are lizard people that eat babies, there are articles that say that from media sources that at least have the appearance of being legit-ish. And again, some people don't care enough to figure out whether or not something is legit. Um, But quite frankly, and like this is my stance on everything and people can get mad. I don't really care. I'm going to blame white people. Um, 2016, that was on black people. Like a lot of us did not show up. Um, 2020, time and time again, we're showing an increase in Black voter registrations, especially among Black women. Um, And Black women have shown that we can mobilize and we can make our vote not even matter, but we can make our votes change something. Um, So I think, you know, there are going to be kind of groups, different um, pockets of groups where it's kind of like, you guys didn't show up, you didn't take this seriously, you didn't think that this was going to be a big deal. And I, I truly think that there be there will be a point if Trump gets elected again, that he screws over every single person in this country. Somehow more, not even, he has screwed over every person in this country. 
but in a way that they see it and they feel the effects of it. Um, I think that a lot of things that have happened are kind of float above people's head. I know a lot more about tax policies than, say, you know, the everyday person, especially the white, uneducated rural voters that tend to support Trump. Um, unless, who knows, maybe they just keep the IRS code in their house. Um, they used to they used to vote for Democrats. We fucked them over. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, I will say, I think in the past, um, a lot of people have been scorned and jaded by the Democratic Party. And I very much understand why. Um, my family, a lot of my family recently, they flipped from Republican to Democrats when Obama came around. Um, and I think that was because of a post-Bush presidency. Uh, so I think... You know, I hope that people under, I hope that this flips a lot of people as well. Um, I hope that this flips a lot of Black Southern voters. I could truly see us flipping a Texas. I could really see us flipping Georgia, which would be great. Um, I, I literally, I pray for like a lot of like personal things, but I never prayed so hard for the state of Georgia. Um and I'll say, if we flip it, it's it's Black people who flip it. Um, Georgia has, Atlanta is literally the Blackest city in America, which I say in like the most positive way. Um, and, you know, there are people who are from all outside of Atlanta who commute into Atlanta. So I think that there is power, there is hope, but if it is a loss, it is because there are still people who didn't turn out. Um, and I'm willing to say that it is some of my people, but I'm also willing to say that it is a lot of white people who just didn't feel bothered enough to take the steps to educate themselves and to understand what's happening in this country because, you know, they can still go to brunch. They can still pound white claws on their boat with their friends money. So, um, I think it's, it's just the people who were just like, eh. I'll be yeah, fine. Agreed. Okay. So now that everyone's feeling guilty. <laughs> oh my God. Stop. I'm not even going to entertain it because he's not in enough states to make me worry. And I'm not going to blame 30 third party candidates because I think that last election in 2016 True. was their shot. I think that. I don't even, I forget um, who they even are this time. It's Joe Jorgensen. So, like, I'm not even interested. It's just like another person on Twitter to me. Like, she's just like, imagine how great life would be if you voted for me. I'd be like, imagine how great life would be if you fucking campaigned. I know. I still want having a lot of conversation around third party candidates, and it's really scary the amount of people that respond. Um, But, like, um, I feel like, I feel like you keep telling me to vote and this is, you know, this is the right thing, right? I'm voting for like, they're trying to like get that validation from me. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah it's good that you're voting, but please go read this and that and this and don't vote third party, please, please, please don't do it. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I'm not hopeful. <laughs> oh, gross. Wild. Well, some of our listeners have sent in questions. So the listeners TM, it's been a while. <laughs> Trademark I that. I know. Throwing it back to the early days when Let's Unpack That was kind of racist. Um, oh, yeah. so 
<laughs> you mean it's not? <laughs> Erica, we've already discussed privately that you're our diversity hire. So, um, so the listeners sent in some of their fears. Uh, number one, everything, but mainly coronavirus. Number two, the world dying and everyone in it dying. Um, number three, healthcare too expensive. My dad's rent, my dad's medical care, medical assistance cuts. As a female, the loss of my own body. My dad being deported. His green card renewal has been in limbo since December. I'm scared of living on this earth. I'm scared of radical groups serving as militias in minority neighborhoods. Basic human rights. Environmental damage. The fact that my family will continue to support him despite his lies. Losing my health care. Right-wing terrorism. Losing my right to choose. That women will lose more of our rights. That nothing will change for Black Lives Matter at the federal level. Armed militias in Oregon, fear for health care that transgender people are experiences, higher prescription drugs, packing the court with more conservatives, having to be berated by Trump supporters for the way that I look and act, my marriage equality, regardless of whether he wins, I feel his base will arm and hunt people like me, losing my rights to work here after college as a non-citizen student, a re-re-re-election. I heard it's colder in Canada. <laughs> That, that DACA would be gone. I have to move because I can't live here anymore. My gay friends can't get married. I can't get an abortion if I need it. That I could be forced into conversion therapy. The safety of the nation from domestic and international threats. Losing rights. White supremacists. Losing rights. Losing rights. Losing choice. Economic collapse. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Literally everything. He won't leave the office even if he loses. He'll shed my rights, but he won't shed the rights of his rich, white, straight friends. More division, more divisiveness. This list is what I'm afraid of, and I haven't even read it yet. <laughs> same, same girl. From like, oh, like. I, I, I wasn't drinking tonight. <laughs> oh my God. Fascism, Supreme Court, oh more hate and more division. Proud racists, proud boys. I'm a gay trans man. I'm worried about everything. The Supreme Court, fascism, all of our sex ed gone, no reproductive rights, no access to abortions, international terrorism and domestic terrorism, no fair elections, no rights for anything, the suppression of more voters. So people had some thoughts. Jesus, right? That's the most responses I've ever gotten to anything. People but- love to be, when, when they're mad about things, they want to reply. Yeah, yeah, they should, but that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so everybody chimed in. Does anybody have any reaction to that? You know, it's funny. I like saw this thing on Twitter, and it was like if you spoke to someone in the 1950s and you told them that we basically everything that's happening in this country now, um, people would have assumed that we lost the Cold War, which it's. There's semantics around that with the Cold War. But besides the point, because we didn't win it, but um, it's so true. Like, it's I feel like we are we are in we're almost at like the very last stop before we get to what I think our forefathers. okay, at least my forefathers feared. Um, And that's just a country where we are pretty much slaves to the ruling elite. And 
I just, I don't, like the fact that people were, there's a girl who was posting about how evil indigenous people were for sacrificing um, hundreds of years ago. And I'm like, bitch, this is not the hill you want to die on, but like, go for it. And it's just that there's, there's so much mobilization of like the worst of the worst. And the fact that people are so afraid that, and these are people who at the very minimum can afford a phone, can afford phone service if they're answering through Instagram. So they have at least something and they're so afraid of having their rights stripped away. And I think it's completely valid. Um, And it, it just makes me so sad to hear all of those things because there's not a single point where I thought like, oh, that can't happen. As a matter of fact, every single point I was like, oh yeah, because if Trump follows through on X, then we're going to end up with YZ. I agree. I had a very similar reaction to that. I think you said it great. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think yeah. you said it. Nailed it. Okay. So now channeling that anxiety, channeling those fears, turning that anxiety into action. What are you going to do to prevent Trump from winning over the next three weeks? Erica, you are up first. So, and this is not something that I, I understand that not everyone is willing to do this, but um, I went on Instagram last night and I looked who my mutual followers were with Donald Trump. And, you know, there are some that I understand are completely on the Trump train. Like, it's almost just not worth my breath because they've been so brainwashed by it. But there were some people that were rational people. Um, and I just DM them. And like one girl I have not spoken to since eighth grade when she told me that I had buck teeth. Um, and I said like, hey, you know, I just wanted to talk to you about um, the election and your thoughts. I know that you represent this particular background. Um, and it was a great conversation. There were no arguments. Um, and I think it went well. I don't know if it necessarily swayed her, but it definitely made her think like, oh, maybe this, like it made her think a little bit more about the decision that she was making. And she did admit that she was anti-Biden because she believed in the QAnon conspiracy theory, um, which is a whole nother thing. And she was like, well, you know, I just can't vote for Biden. And I know that we're anti-third party, but like this girl was already on the Trump train. And I was like, oh, well, you know, Joe Jorgensen's like a really great (laughs) option. And you know what? She actually, like everything that she said did line up with the Libertarian Party. Um, And she's in California. And I was like, oh, here's some people locally that I think that you would actually agree with who just happen to be Democrats. Um, so it was a really effective conversation and you don't have to be as aggressive like me and literally attack people on Instagram, but, um, it's so powerful to have a conversation. If you feel comfortable, I understand that that's hard for people. Um, and when you come, if you present something from a place of rationality and understanding because they're so inundated with a lot of negativity or a lot of extreme bias. 
um, it really could change at least someone's outlook on something. And, you know, if they end up switching from Trump to Joe Jorgensen, like, it's not a full win, but it's not a full loss. <laughs> let, it, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Garrett, you're up. Oh, man. I am currently, God, doing as much as I can um, within the constraints of my time. Um, I'm going to be phone banking uh, for the first time tomorrow. Um, never. I'm making phone calls. Kate. Talk to Kate about it. Kate at Friends Vote Together. You want a person that will sell you <laughs> on phone banking. She is so damn good at it. Um, she's so good at it. She's gonna, She's got me to do it too. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So tomorrow will be my first experience and then I'll be, uh, and it's our first day of early voting here in North Carolina. So um, yeah, just my, my thing has always been, I'm not here to sway Trump voters. Um, that's a lot of work and often a lost cause. And my, my mission is still just to get people to vote um, in general. Like that is, the thing. I am a perfect example of someone that was completely disengaged and really mostly disengaged for the last three years and then have found a path to, to feeling more more connected and I um proof that's just where I'm I'm gone. You know? I I I've I have had an incredible personal shift in a lot of the ways I approach things and think about things and I think there are people that are far less right leaning that or even just people sitting on the left that just aren't going to vote um that i can i can get to take some action so that'll be my mission i'm basically just focusing on it that's why for those that don't know i've just been finding ways to boil down a lot of the local election stuff and um things that are going to be on the ballot and just make sure because i think my biggest concern with a lot of things is uh, the down ballot voting and I don't know, there's just, there's such a lack of education across the board. The amount of things I've shared that I've, it even, even me, I'm reading, <laughs> I'm like deep in learning right now. And I'm like blowing my own mind over and over and over by, by the things I'm learning that feel like really essential. So like the way my, like everything operates around me. So I think that if, if people can feel I think that action comes from education and if we can educate people even a tiny little bit um, and make it really, I don't want to politics for dummies in a lot of ways, um, which is how I'm approaching it for myself. I think we can get them to do something over the next 20 days. Agreed. That's my goal. For me, my action item is that I'm going to be sharing pro Biden content on Instagram. So the reason that I'm doing this, in particular is because data is showing that young voters respond to information about Joe Biden. They become more enthusiastic, more likely to vote, more likely to get their friends to vote if you just talk to them about the candidate. I know it feels crazy to all of us who have been following this election, like all the way through that we're engaged in the primaries, but there's still a ton of people for whatever reason or for whatever privilege that do not know enough about Joe Biden. So I'm going to be sharing pro Biden content on Instagram. And I would like for everyone listening to this to share it, to use it as a talking point. So I'm going to be talking about climate. I'm going to be talking about criminal justice reform. And I'm going to be talking about healthcare and the economy. 
those four things will sway young voters and older voters to vote for Joe Biden. So if you see one of my posts, I am encouraging you to take it, to use it, to talk to your friends about it, to put that into your brain so that you can share positive things about Joe Biden, too. It's so easy to bitch about Trump. We can we literally have a whole podcast on it. But like when you share positive Joe Biden content, it will resonate with other voters. So that is my action item. And that is one of my action items for all of you. So, Kirk, what's yours? Mine's going to be sharing Paul's pro Biden, pro Biden content. And <laughs> I yeah. Just kidding. But that will be one of them because I'll be doing that. Um, mine so mine genuinely was kind of what Erica was saying, a little less aggressive. I wasn't, I might start doing that too, Erica, though. Stop. I do that all the time. I've been doing that since 2016. People that follow Joe, um, Donald Trump and any family members and are actively liking his content. The following doesn't get me as much because I think I see people that I know are like crazy Democrats that like just follow yeah. him because of the president and they want to know, especially more so on Twitter. Um, but anyway, um, I have a list in my head of people that aren't Trump supporters, but people who fall under, under that. Um, I'm not political. I've never voted. I'm not going to, if I have to go, if I'm already registered, like, and my county at home, I'm not going to go do it. Like I have a good number of people that are kind of semi close to me to just like acquaintances that I've heard say these things that I um, really am trying to get in front of the next few weeks, preferably before Monday, because it's the register deadline in Pennsylvania, the 19th, everyone. So if you're in Pennsylvania, um, so that's one of my big things is to get to them and, and, you know, genuinely come to them with, um, not just my aggressive, annoying, I hate Donald Trump because I look like I'm biased then, which um, I want to come with, you know, facts about Joe Biden and not even just facts about being a Democrat, but facts about the person that you're going to go, that we should be voting for, um, which I think is super important. So having those conversations with them, I encourage people to do that with people that they know in their lives that aren't full-fledged Trump, but you don't, are like, they don't want to be political or they aren't going to vote because they never have, or they just don't think it affects them, but ask them. Um, to ask themselves, I think they don't, people don't do this enough. Is it might not affect me, but like, that, like, how is this really going to affect you? Like, think about it. Like, you've been in a world where Donald Trump's been president for four years. Do you want that again in reality? And if it's not affecting you, there's someone in your life that it's affecting, and like, they probably know that, but aren't understanding that. And why, why I'm so passionate about it, why Paul's so passionate about it, why Erica's so passionate about it, um, is because it affects us in some way or affects people around us in some way. Um, and that's like 99% of the country. So I think that getting people who um, are on the cusp or aren't interested in getting involved to understand that I think is really important. Um, It's almost an action item for you to do to your friends and then for your friend to do, to ask you, why is it affecting you? But I think it's really important that we understand that because like to your point, Paul, when you're reading all those things that the listeners send in, um, we we could have sat there and been like, oh, this is so dramatic. I was waiting for one to be like, roll my eyes out, to be like, oh, that's never going to happen. But they really all can happen. I think we all need to understand that that's kind of, what we're up against even more so now than we were in 2016. Um, So those are my action items for myself and for you. Perfectly said. All right. When we come back, we'll have an interview with actor, director, creator, and drag queen, Michael Whitkiss. All 
right, everyone, and we're back. We are here with Michael Whitkiss, the um, from the International House of Pancake, um, <laughs> actor, writer, and director, drag queen, uh, creator. Um, Michael, super excited to have you on the podcast. It's been a long time coming. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for that wonderful intro of, of course all the various things that i do yeah well that's what I, I that's what i think is so funny like every time like i well when i started talking to you you were working on one project and then like when i almost met you it was a different project and now through quarantine it's been like a totally different thing so i'm super excited to have you here super excited to have you on the podcast um and i know that our listeners are really going to enjoy this segment so to start us off i would love to just uh hear you introduce yourself who you are, where you're from, where do you live? Um, just a little intro into uh, Michael and uh, Pink Pancake. Yeah. Um, so I'm Michael Webkiss. Obviously, we went over that. I am from outside of Philly, from Lower Marion. And I moved to New York about six or so years ago. I went to Muhlenberg College. I studied acting and directing and um after i graduated i've basically just been there was like a little bit of a struggle for sure to like find my way into the industry and then i created my own um web series and from there it's been just like creating project to project and it's been such a joy and such a joy ride and i'm also incredibly passionate about lgbt content and expanding representation specifically for lgbt voices yeah yeah, that's exciting. I remember one of the things that like I first messaged you on Instagram was after I watched your web series interested in I was like, Oh, my God, it's so nice to see like, a gay from Philly highlighting Philly. I was like, I felt so like, proud. And it was so cool to see our city represented. But can I ask, like, what kind of inspired you to create interested in I know you just hit like, a million views on YouTube or something yeah. like that. So uh, I, that's <laughs> congratulations. Thank um, you. I would just love to know what inspired you to create this series. Um, obviously, you said like you're kind of struggling to find your way like in New York, but, but really, where did the inspiration to create the web series come from? Yeah, I mean, I, I even wrote the script before I moved to New York at all. But I, when I came out of the closet, I was in my, I was 21 or 20. I think I was 20 years old, maybe 19. I kind of forget at this point. But um, I was so confused and so lost after I came out. I struggled so much to come out and I thought like once I finally am able to admit it to myself and admit it to others that I would just like fully accept myself and like wipe my hands and walk away. Um, but that was not the case. I also feel like a lot of the media that I watched as a kid, I mean, didn't really have queer characters at all, but the ones that did, especially plays and I'm like a big theater kid, they, the ones that had gay characters in them or, or were, if they were like about gay characters they always ended with the main character either coming out or committing suicide. Um, mm -hmm. And so there was no story about like what happened after the closet. So I started writing this more just therapeutically. And I started to, in college, I think my junior year, I started to just write like little scenes to kind of teach myself the dramatic structure of like a beginning, middle and end of a scene. And I was just thinking like, Oh, I'm going to make these like five minute short play things. And just for myself. And then I started to realize that I was really writing like one story. Yeah. Then from there, I just started to develop it into a whole 
it was first a play because that's my main background. Right, and right. We did that in two different um, theater festivals. One of them was in Philadelphia, and which was obviously like so important to me and such a dream of mine when I would go to this um, festival when I was, I mean, not like too much younger than that, but like in the beginning of my college years. So to, to be in it later was really wonderful. And then after I did that, I just realized it was, it felt more like a series. It was very um, intimate and more filmic and the writing in general. And then I was like, okay, how do I do that? And then I just kind of like put a team together and figured it out. And then we were able to make the first season. And then someday with, uh, as people are figuring out how to film during COVID, hopefully we'll be able to make the second season as well. Yeah, that would be really exciting. I know you had like a really successful fundraiser too for the second season, right? Yeah, yeah. We like we're, we were all good to go and then COVID hit. And um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're now obviously like so many projects waiting until we're able to do it safely. But yeah, that was, it was so incredible to, to do this like online fundraiser and get support from like my community, the community of other people in the series as well. And then just like people who watched it and like, I connected to you through the series and I just think it's, it's so amazing to foster this community around something. And, and I, I, I've met a lot of people through it and it's just, I don't, I like my, if I told my little gay closeted self about this, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he would believe me. And I just, I, it's like a dream come true. (laughs) That's awesome. That's really exciting and inspiring. Um, speaking of kind of like things, I guess that inspire you, like, was it during the hiatus of filming that you created the drag character that you play now? Or, um, what sort of inspired that? And and what is their name? I don't know if it's, if it's Um, he or her, but what is it? So my drag name is pink pancake. Um, and the, uh, any pronoun will do. Um, you can like make up your own pronoun, very gendered, <laughs> fluid, gendered, non-binary. I don't know if we're allowed to curse, but gender. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> drag for sure. Um, I keep my beard. And how did that come about? I mean, I've always been really interested in, um, just exploring gender and exploring my own gender. I feel like I definitely, I I identify as a man out of drag, but I also like don't, but I just, I'm like gender. I just think gender should be played with. And I have always through my childhood, like gravitated towards things that were more, feminine that that were more like typically girls toys I remember asking my mom to paint my nails as a little kid and she like happily did um and so my drag came out of just that desire to explore gender it's really a love letter to myself as a little kid and now I'm able mm. to do all the things that I couldn't really do back then that I was able to do before like in my privacy of my own home. And then once I got to school, I learned like those things were not okay. And I really shoved them down. But I started to do drag like a year ago. My, I, on my birthday, my best friend got me booked for this drag brunch. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. And I really loved it. And it's such a great way for me to explore my creativity. Um, and especially 
being an actor, you have to like wait for someone to book you on a gig and being a drag queen, you can kind of do it on your own terms. Also being a creator and like making your own web series is on your own terms, but that still takes so much work. And um, you, you still need a lot of different things to like correspond to be able to do that. So yeah, that's how my drag came about. But I feel like in quarantine, I've been taking it a lot more seriously and really pursuing it um, more fervently. Yeah, I mean, the videos are phenomenal. And of <laughs> course, like we will plug your Instagram at the end, but that's just a an initial recommendation for everyone. So, so you mentioned like being able to live out sort of a, a childhood version or childhood inspiration. Like, was there something about a pink pancake in your childhood that, that yeah, led you to create the name? Not. Like the name doesn't make my, the, the, this is how the name became a thing is my, I'm in a, I'm in a group chat with a bunch of friends and someone posted a meme, like your stripper name is the color of your underwear and the last thing you ate. And one of my <laughs> friends said pink pancakes and I was just like so struck by that name. I felt like it coursed through my whole body. <laughs> and, and I just was like, wow, that that is like, if I do drag, that has to be my drag name. I took out the S, just pink pancake. Um, I don't even eat pancakes. One of my drag shows <laughs> that I um, host at before quarantine, but again, one day, they have pink pancakes on the menu. And the last time I went, I, when I arrived, they like handed me pink pancakes. I was like, oh my God, like, girl, I don't eat carbs. <laughs> I mean, I do, but like, you know, I, yeah, I don't even like eat pink pancakes, but there's just something about the like gluttony of the name and obviously the femininity and just the, I just feel like there's a joy in pancakes and it's very marketable as well. hundred percent. Yeah. It just makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Like, I love that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, we're, we'll, we'll talk about it, I know, in a second. Um, but, you know, getting Pink Pancake out there and active. What does Pink Pancake think about politics? And what does Michael think about politics right now? Obviously, you're in New York. We know how New York is going to vote. But, um, you know, having having Philly roots, what does is, what is Pink Pancake think about Philly and Pennsylvania politics? Yeah, I mean, right now is like the most dire situation I mean, obviously of my lifetime, but it just, it feels like in anyone's living lifetime right now, it, it's it's crazy how much I feel like we've regressed in the past four years and it's truly frightening. Um, so I obviously vote, vote blue, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can turn this thing around. Um, but like for drag... I, and like my storytelling and my writing, I like to make the personal political, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I'm, my drag is incredibly like subversive. I'm playing with gender. I'm wearing like dresses. I'm wearing this or like, I'm, I'm just wearing whatever I want. I'm like putting Barbie dolls on my head. Um, and I'm, I'm playing with, just subverting gender and exploring sexuality and all of that, which I think is inherently political. I mean, just like a man in a dress is inherently political. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately now we have politicians that have big microphones saying like stupid things like sexual preference. I thought that was so far behind us. And and then like with my web series, I think the, the whole series is 
political in nature, but it doesn't like literally address politics as well. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But and I've... also just showing like men sexually and intimate, I think is inherently political too. Yeah, I think it's something about that power of like telling untold stories. And I feel like yeah. that that was what inspired you to write. And that's what's definitely inspiring your drag too, which is, is really exciting. And I think it's really cool. Um, so where can people find you? Where can they find Pink Pancake? Um, and then where can they find your your other stuff too? Yeah, so my Instagram is House of Pancake H-A-U-S. Um, and then I my web series is called Interested In. We have an Instagram at Interested in Series. Our, we have a YouTube channel where you can watch the whole first season for free. Um, and that is just Interested in Series on YouTube. We also have a website, www.interestedinseries.com. And then I also launched just recently a YouTube channel for my drag persona as well. So that's House of Pancake on YouTube. So, and I'm like putting out a lot of different videos. I have a new one coming at the end of the month. Yeah, I'm just trying to like put out a lot of content that will make people happy because I think right now we need to smile. Yeah, as someone who is sort of the um, lead champion of doom and gloom, as uh, Garrett, who's on this podcast, calls me, um, I very much appreciate watching your videos as sort of like a disconnection from reality, but also a connection to it that we can still have fun. And there are still creators out there doing really awesome things. So thank you so much for what you have been doing. Um, of course, um, you know, if, if, if you guys do want, um, we are hosting an Instagram live fundraiser, Pink Pink pancake for Pennsylvania. Um, we are going to try to turn out as many voters in Pennsylvania as possible. And Michael and Pink Pancake have offered to be part of this. Um, so that will be happening just a couple days from now. You can check the details on my Instagram. But Michael, seriously, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. This is so fun to have you um, and talk about something that is politics, but not politics at the same time. So thank I really, you. really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I also, I just want to end with I think that continuing to pursue creativity and joy during times like this and incredibly dire times and incredibly political dire times, I think is, in, is resilient. And I also think that that is a form of protest as well. Yeah, I agree. That's a really good closing note. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. We will be talking to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That's it. Garrett, Kirk, Erica, thank you so much for joining us. As always, thank you to Andrew, our producer. By the time this comes out, there will be two weeks left until Election Day. So I need every single person that's made it this far in this episode to reach a voter, call a voter, text a voter, post on social media, get loud and stay loud because this is our last shot. So thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. We will see you next week for our last episode before the election. God. <laughs> Talk to you all soon. 